way back in 1671, long before even Max and Noreen were born. (laughs) Who said that? (laughs) There was a, a young man who wrote a letter to the Royal Society of London. Now, the Royal Society of London was a a society of the world's top mathematicians and scientists and physicists and all those important, clever people. But this young man, in his letter, explained that a commonly held belief about light was not true. At that time, light was thought to be white light, And other colours could be created by modifying white light, such as passing it through a filter or a coloured lens or something. And that's how you made colours. But this letter turned that belief upside down. This young man, who was himself an up-and-coming mathematician and physicist by the name of Isaac Newton, put forward the proof, not just an idea, but the proof that white light is actually made up of all of the colours of the rainbow. And when we see another colour, it's because all those other colours are filtered out of that conglomeration of white light. Maybe you've done this simple YouTube experiment somewhere in your childhood. Thanks, Cameron. Who's not seen that before? There are something to do when you get home. I think Isaac Newton's letter was a little bit more scientific than that, but it gives you the concept, doesn't it? And I guess in a way the church operates in a similar kind of a manner, that we're part of one body, we're all individual, yet as a collective we make up the body of Christ. And if we're going to be light of the world, then we need red and yellow and pink and green, purple and orange and blue. This is our final series on light. And I love the concept that we're exploring this morning, that those individual pieces come together to form the different colours, sorry, the white light there, that we all have different strengths and giftings and we come together and we are the church. A typical message about parts of the body and gifts and coming together and all these differences making the whole might include comments about those who pray, those who give, those who speak, those who go on mission fields locally and overseas, those who vacuum, those who prepare morning tea, those who work on the rosters for carols and all those kinds of things. And these are necessary parts of the church. And I guess we could list thousands of ways that we serve the church and help grow the body of Christ. But I'm going to stop right there. So if you're sort of settling into your seat thinking, oh yes, here's a typical, we're all parts in one body, kind of a message. Or if you're thinking, I wonder if I've got that latest email or what the latest news update is or whatever it might be, hold it there. This is not a typical, we are all one body and we're all parts and bits and pieces. It's not one of those kind of messages. So, don't slouch down, sit up straight, open up your mind, switch on your brain and uh, let's continue As I was reading through typical Bible verses about that, I realised there's actually some cautions that we have to be aware of. And I want to look at five different cautions about different parts and being the body of Christ. Let's look at the Bible verses, and you'll be familiar with these. The first is from 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7. 
There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in us all. A spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can help each other. And then we skip down to verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Verses that we're familiar with, and I think their danger is that we can become over-familiar and think, yes, I've heard that before, I know where this is going. But be ready, sit up straight. Here we go. The first caution is just that, that we can box ourselves in to this is my part of the body. That the passage talks about all the different kind of things and if you read 1 Corinthians 12 in entirety, it lists all different sorts of things that Christians might be doing to serve the body of Christ. And we can think, well, that's my job. Sorry, that's my job. I'll stick to this. That's your job. You stick to that. And I think there's plenty of organisations that successfully work around the world like that. You do your job, you do it well, I'll do job, my job, I'll do it well. But we are not an organisation, we are the body of Christ. And it's not about boxing ourselves into one specific area of service, one thing that we think we do. If we decide that this is my part in the body of Christ and stubbornly stick to that, we're denying that God might have something more for us to do. We're denying the way we can connect with each other and support one another. Now, all through the Bible, God keeps pushing people out of their boxes. Just think of Moses. Moses was one who was called to lead the people from freedom. He couldn't speak and he kept saying to God, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And finally, God sent Moses' brother Aaron with him and off they went and did the task. You think of the fishermen who are happily fishing and suddenly were called to leave all of that and become disciples of Jesus. Time and time again, Jesus calls us out of our box. So if you're thinking, well, this is my part in the body, this is my part in the church, I could never go on an overseas mission. I could never go and help with morning tea. I could never this, I could never that. I could never lead a Bible study group. I could never get to 6.45 prayer on a Monday morning. Then we need to stop thinking about where we've put ourselves in our box. I like the example of the, uh, the spinning colour wheel that you saw because the colours have to blend in order to see what. And it's the same for the church. Our gifts and our talents and our acts of service have to blend. They can't remain isolated in their own box. Take this really simple example. In a few weeks' time, we have the church carols. Um, hand up those who will be cooking the sausages on the barbecue, cooking thousands of sausages. Can we just give these guys a hand, please? It's a really, really important job. But imagine somebody who did that, not Ross or Dan, I'm sure there's, this doesn't apply to them. But imagine someone who volunteers to do that. They turn up, grab the tongs, grab their aprons, switch on the barbie, take their position over the hot plate, cook hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sausages. Once the cooking's done clean up the hot plate, pack it all up, hand back the tongs, hand back the, uh, the apron and head for home. Did they cook the sausages? Yes. Did they do a good job? 
I'm sure they will. But it's not just about boxing in to do that job, is it? What conversations can they have while they're doing that? How can they acknowledge what's happening around them? How can they smile and wave and talk to the hungry crowds? Can they seek an opportunity to engage in a deeper conversation with the other chefs? Could they be praying for those who are on the stage? There's so many things that we can do. And if we just box ourselves into one thing, then we're missing out on opportunities. Now, I know that's just a very simple kind of an example, but you get the point I'm saying. It's not so much what you do, but it's how you do it and why you do it. The how, a sense of joy and purpose in what you're doing for God. And the why, because we know that we're not just cooking sausages, we're coming together to create white light to shine in the darkness. But there's a challenge in allowing ourselves to blend in to form that white light, to be the body of Christ. On the video of the spinning wheel, you'll notice that those really vivid colours that you see disappear as the white comes through. They kind of fade away to form the white. And in a sense, it might seem like there's a bit of a shame. There's no more nice bright blue or vivid yellow or green. No more me. No more me. If we really want to be part of the body of Christ, if we really want to contribute to that bright white light, then we have to be prepared to have no more me. We've got to let Christ through us come forward. But no more me, isn't that what it's all about anyway? Isn't it becoming more Christ-like as we continue? Not that green and purple and red and pink and all those colours aren't important, but they'll no longer stand out. We've got to let go of self to become the body of Christ. So what of self do you hang on to? What do you hang on to that might stop you blending and really being part of the body of Christ? Are there any attitudes or, or practices or habits that you have? Things that you're familiar with, they mightn't be bad things, but you're just comfortable with that. A simple example again could be habits around church each week. And I know the body of Christ is bigger than just this place. But what habits do you have? What time do you arrive? Where do you park? Who do you speak with? Where do you sit? And I always sit up the back there. That's sort of where I feel comfortable. We have these habits, don't we? There's nothing wrong with those. But the point is, if we're really going to allow ourselves to blend and be part of the body of Christ, then we have to assess our habits And be prepared to hand over what's comfortable or familiar. I know from talking with some people that there are some who come here on Sunday feeling anxious. Feeling a bit nervous. Feeling a bit lonely. What's going to happen when they step through the doors? What what part can we play as the body of Christ in doing something about that? How can we blend and get out of our comfortable habits to make sure that others really are being part of this body. A simple example again, next week we have this uh, amazing Celebration Sunday planned and uh, it's always good sticking around after church for lunch because those who prepare lunch do a super job. But who are you going to sit with? If all of the feet in the body of Christ hop over to that table together and all of the ears are over here. All of the blues and the green from the rainbow sit with all of the other cool colours. 
why not make next Sunday a chance to blend? I want to challenge you. Find your friends for sure, give them a kiss and a cuddle, and then go and sit with somebody else. And let's get to know one another. That's why I like the, um, the family investment time we have each week, um, because it's a chance just to mix around. And uh, I want to challenge you there. If you look around and think, oh, I know that person, I'll talk with them, then do something about that. Get out of those comfortable habits. Don't just stick with all the greens and the reds and the purples. Blend. Don't box. The second caution when we think about the body of Christ and the different parts we have to play is this. Well, I don't really have anything to give. That's fine for those who do things. But I guess my part in the body of Christ is coming along to church on Sunday and just adding a little bit of extra mass to the body. <laughs> but that's not what I read. 1 Corinthians twelve seven: A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. It's not selective. It's there in the Bible. It's given to each of us. And in verse 27 of the same chapter, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you have a part in it. And it's not just excess baggage. We'd all do have a part to play. And they're very, very different. Very, very different. But we have a part to play. Now, either the word of God is true or it isn't. It says we all have a part, and I believe that that's the case. But if you're there saying, Graham, nah, you don't know my situation. You don't know my story. I really can't contribute. I can't offer. I can't do anything in the body of Christ. I want to challenge you. I think you've been deceived by the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, as mentioned in John 10.10. But not only that, not only have you been robbed... 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, A gift is given to each of you so that we can help each other. Now, if you're taken out of the game, then there's others who are going to suffer as a result of your absence. You do have a part to play. Perhaps like the Royal Society of London, maybe your commonly held belief is not correct. But the good news is that you've also been given a letter in the form of the Word of God that gives proof to the fact that you are valued, you are loved by God, you have a part to play in the body of Christ. The third caution when we're talking about the body of Christ is that every part of the body needs a life source flowing through it in order to be alive and growing and work. I have a friend who sadly passed away a few weeks ago. I had a lot of health challenges. But uh, about 10 years ago, he was uh, travelling overseas in the United States um, with his son. And uh, the trip had been a wonderful time and they were flying back home or heading towards the airport to come home um, to be with his wife and their daughter back home. Um, and the last day or two of the trip, his toe had been quite sore and he must have cut it on something and got a bit of an infection. And it was getting more and more sore and he thought, well, when I get home after the flight back from the United States, I'll go to the doctor and get it seen to. And as he was coming to check in, the uh, people at the check-in counter were very observant and they noticed he was, he was limping and looked like he was uncomfortable and in pain. 
And uh, they said, oh, what, what's wrong? I said, oh, look, I've, I've hurt my toe and when I get back home to Australia, I'll, I'll get it seen to. And they said, we'd really rather you have it look now before you fly. Long story short, it was gangrenous. And uh, while his son boarded the plane to fly home, he went to hospital to have his toe amputated. Um, and the doctor had said, if you'd got on that flight home, by the time you got home, it would have been the whole leg that would have had to be amputated. Something had stopped that blood flow into the toe. It no longer had a source of life. And it was dead and decaying. And it was there to cause the rest of the body to be dead and uh, to decay. In order to have a healthy body of Christ, every part of us, every one of us, has to have life flowing through us. John chapter 15 tells us, I am the vine, you are the branches. And we have to remain connected to God in order to be a healthy part of the body of Christ. If what you're doing is in your own strength, then you're not being an effective part of the body of Christ. I guess it's like an artificial leg. It can help as a good second to the real thing. And it could get someone from A to B. But it's not the best. It's not living. It's not growing. For that leg to be a real part of the body, it's got to connect to a blood supply. It's got to have nerves that can feel the heartbeat and to feel pain. It's got to be able to be healed when it's injured, to grow and to be strong. The most crucial factor in being part of the body of Christ is not what you do at church. It's not how many mission trips you go on. It's not how many sausages you cook how many prayer meetings you go to. These things are all important, but the most crucial factor in being an effective part of the body of Christ is that you have your own connection to the source of life. If you don't have that, you can't be part of the body of Christ. And I think there's a real danger in looking at that passage from Romans and thinking, what do I have to do to be part of the body? What you have to do is strengthen your relationship with God. When you have your own prayer time in the privacy of your home or when you're driving along in the car, you're growing into the body of Christ. When you open your body, sorry, your Bible and allow the Holy Spirit to bring the words to reality, that was a bad mistake, wasn't it? (laughs) Sometimes you can sort of push on and forget it, other times you can't. I'm not talking surgery here. When you open your Bible, is what I'm trying to say, and you allow the Holy Spirit to bring those words into reality in your life, you're strengthening the body of Christ. And when you allow God to walk beside you each day, to direct you, to guide you, to teach you, you're making the body of Christ more healthy and effective. All you and God. You and God. Don't be fooled into thinking that doing and serving can replace any of that. A fourth caution, and I think this is the reason that Paul actually wrote that chapter, and that is about having a critical heart, looking at what other people are doing and either being envious, I wish I could do that, they're more capable than I am, or looking at what other people are doing and being judgmental and critical of it. And that whole chapter is about understanding that each of us are different and that that's okay. So how we view the few differences is important. 
it's important that we don't look at others and think, well, that's not what I would do. Um, I wouldn't have done it that way. Um, it should have been like this. Um, I wish it really was like that. I want to challenge you in your thinking. Have you ever left church or a church event or a, a Bible study group or anything with other Christians and you're thinking, oh, that wasn't so good. But, but really, I'm just giving my opinion or just sort of giving some helpful comments or thinking it through. We know that if we have issues, the Bible tells us to go and talk with the person. That strengthens the body of Christ. I want to flick over to the Old Testament to a story about a critical attitude and its consequence. It's in 2 Samuel. And our Bible study group were looking at this a couple of weeks ago and it really stood out to me. It's a story about King David and his first wife, Michelle. And the start of the story goes back before David and Michelle were even born or married, about 250 years prior to that, in the time of Moses. Moses received the Ten Commandments from God. And after he had received those, they were instructed by God to build a big, elaborate box. And it was covered with gold and decorated. And it was called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ten Commandments and other things were put inside there. And the Ark of the Covenant was then symbolic of God's presence and his promise to the people of Israel. And it was to be with them um, always. But over time, it was captured by the Philistines. And uh, King David now uh, had recovered it and was going to bring it back to Jerusalem and place it in the temple where once again it could focus the people's attention on the presence of God. So they were coming back into Jerusalem and it was a very joyful occasion. It was very significant. There was great celebration. And we read from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, that's Jerusalem, Michelle, that's um, David's first wife, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michelle, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today. Shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michelle, I was dancing before the Lord, who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But these servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I'm distinguished. So Michelle, daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. And it stood out to me that what David was doing was simply doing what he wanted to before the Lord. It wasn't for anyone else's purpose. 
And if we're serving God, if we're responding in a way that he's calling to us, we do that because we're doing that for the Lord, for no one else. And he was dancing with all his might. We're cooking sausages with all our might. We're going on mission trips with all our might. We're praying with all our might, before the Lord and with all our might. And he was being a blessing to others and to his household. And to me, that's the real tragedy that all of Israel was blessed by David's actions, by bringing the ark back to Israel, by offering them gifts, by dancing and worshipping God. The whole country was blessed except for his household. He was going back to bring a blessing to the household as well. And he was met with this critical and judgmental attitude. The real sad thing, Michelle never had children. That was quite a significant thing in the culture at the time. But it was through her attitude and her critical nature. If we get involved in judging and criticising others because what they do seems strange or uncomfortable or even wrong or it's not what we want, it's a dangerous thing. But it can prevent us from experiencing the greater blessings of God. The attitude of our heart, the words we speak, can be a barrier to the blessing of God. I don't know whether Michelle was unable to conceive, or more sadly, whether David just rejected her and she spent her time alone. But either way, if we're going to be critical of others in the body of Christ, we have to realise that that can prevent the blessings that God has for us. And the final caution. I hope you're not slinking into your seats. One more caution to go. And that is that by looking at this verse the wrong way or giving too much attention to that, we can miss the best of all. There is better to come. The best way of all. If we get caught up with who's doing what, where I fit in, we're missing that. And Paul finishes chapter 12 with a bit of a teaser. I don't know whether you've ever read a book, a really good book, and you're getting into it and uh, perhaps it's time to get dinner or you're busting to go to the loo or whatever it might be and you think, I'll just finish this chapter. And you get to the end of the chapter and there's just a little sentence or a paragraph and you think, oh, I've got to keep reading, I can't stop now. That's what Paul has put at the very end of this chapter. Let's have a look at that now. 1 Corinthians 12, the end of verse 31. So after talking all about gifts and parts of the body and what we do and making sure that we uh, love and accept each other, he says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Okay, I can wait. I don't need to race off to the loo. Let's turn the page and see where that takes us to. If we really want to be part of the body of Christ, if we really want to allow what we can bring to the body of Christ to blend our gifts and our talents and our dreams, then this is the way we do it. Keep waiting, it's coming. But note that Paul says, this is a way of life. He doesn't say, here's another gift coming, or here's another talent, or here's another act of service, or here's another this for some people. He says it's a way of life. 
Now, what makes something a way of life? What makes something a way of life? We have to value it. We have to practice it. We have to use it as a compass when we're making decisions. I'm not quite sure which way to go with something, so what is my way of life? What is my values? What are my principles that can help me make this decision? We have to hold on to it tightly and we can fall back on it when the challenges of life come. A way of life is something that you intentionally practice and incorporate into your life. It's not either you can or you can't. So this is the better way of life. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians 13. It's a very well-known chapter and it's often read at weddings because it talks all about love. It talks all about love. It's so important that we realise whatever gifts and abilities we have, however we fit into the body of Christ, whatever we can do is worthless without that sense of love for one another. And I believe that's what blends us all on the colour wheel, that care and concern for each other. I'm actually going to finish my message today by reading this verse. I thought it's not a bad thing to give God the last word. And as we read through this, I want you just to think and to reflect on what you've heard this morning. What you've heard about not boxing yourself into just one little compartment. What you've heard about blending with others. What you've heard about not being critical and judgmental. What you've heard about, well, I don't have any gift. Think about all of those things as we read this really, really important verse. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. This is the body of Christ. This is what it's all about. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Amen.